Smart Counsel is sponsored by the Masters in Counseling program at Multnomah University in Portland, Oregon. Reese Basimio is a counselor at New Pattern Counseling in Gresham, Oregon, who specializes in gender, sexuality, addiction, and spirituality. Ben Poling is a counselor in Portland, Oregon, who specializes in sexual addiction and identity at a New Day Counseling Center. Welcome to Smart Counsel, Accountability in Recovery. Smart Counsel provides perspectives and resources for providers and students on spirituality, mental health, addictions, relationships, and trauma. I'm Reese Basimio. And I'm Ben Poling. And we are here in the studio of Breakfast Puppies. Thank you for hosting us. And we are kicking off season three, sort of a season three. We've had really loose, unboundary seasons, but <laughs> we are back after a hiatus, that's for sure. And I'm happy to be here. As am I. Cool. So, Ben, as we are, as we are want to do, we humanize ourselves before overconceptualizing anything. But <laughs> as a person, as a clinician, what is something you are learning lately that might have something to do with mental health, etc.? Aha, yes. Uh, I've been very interested in the concepts around uh, internal family systems lately. Um, it's uh, kind of just in a in a way stumbled upon it in doing therapy with people and them just kind of well I had a client that just started talking about uh kind of inner child stuff um and then um did that more intentionally with some other clients and have just been really surprised by how easily people are able to conceptualize kind of the these um inner parts of themselves, um, that to the, and, and how powerful it actually is, uh, in, uh, in therapy, um, how, how clients have, have really talked about how, um, interesting and powerful it is for them to do, to, to talk about that. To recognize different aspects of themselves and see how they interact. And yeah. And to, to just, yeah, even just to recognize that there's this part of themselves and, um, and interact with that, uh, has been very powerful. Yeah. That does seem really powerful. That's a, a little similar to something I've been playing around a little bit with. Uh, I have been dabbling a little bit with some somatic experiencing, some work with the felt sense and a little bit in it, um, an element of that is checking into the different parts of yourself and, uh, the the buzzword is you know approach it with a gentle curiosity you know non judgment but more curiosity mm-hmm. can you understand what that thing is in you and what is it trying to accomplish and um, and I think isn't with internal family systems isn't the goal more not to eliminate aspects of personalities but to get them to all cooperate or something yeah I I think so I don't know a ton about it myself um, mm-hmm. uh, but but from what I do know yeah it's it's about recognizing interacting with them trying to understand those parts and why they exist what what they're you know what they're trying to accomplish and working together that sounds really exciting and yes i've I've dabbled a bit, bit with that and always found it really really interesting and, and the clients i've done it with they seem to really resonate with it um i i heard just today there's this really fun uh buzzword and it was one of those moments that made me feel a little bit old because it's like, oh, this is what the cool kids are saying nowadays or the young, the young, the young folk are saying out there. But <laughs> anyway, I'm not that old. Um, but this whole idea of cancel culture, 
which I apparently I never heard quite the term, although it, it, it made sense once I heard it because it's talking a lot about how like online relationships work and this whole phenomenon of, you know, you post something and you get liked or disliked enough times and then you get publicly shunned. And then, mm. you know, people who are like, you know, you, you represent something I don't like or you like have this one opinion that differs from mine. I'm going to like eliminate you from my life and, and everything. And it apparently has this whole backlash into people's security with relationships. And anyway, so relationships are hard anyway. And starting relationships is really hard. And for for adults, especially like conjuring new relationships out of out of nowhere um there's a lot of challenges that go into that and so then you get this whole phenomenon just like seeping into all of the online forums because a lot of relationships are online now and then you have this whole thought of like i cannot fully express myself or i might get jacked from someone's life um apparently it creates some difficulties and some stress so it sort of, i heard i learned about it and made myself sort of grateful that i'm not really on many online forums anymore Yes, I'm yeah. a little out of date there, but I'm happy about it. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's it's amazing how much uh, on online uh, social media is affecting r- relationships and and how we interact with 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 each other. And um, was talking it makes me think of um, just kind of how and, and maybe maybe these are related, you know, with with cyberbullying. Um, how that's so much bigger than say like bullying in schools and stuff because of the anonymity. And, you know, I feel like, um, because of the, the anonymity, it's, it's easier to just, you know, shun somebody to, you know, in, on the internet because you don't really have to deal with any sort of consequences from it. They don't know who you are really probably. And, you know, and so, but you know, there's still for the person that gets shunned or, you know, uh, it's, there's still, a a lot of consequences for them emotionally, uh, self-worth, et cetera. Very much so. And yeah, there, there doesn't seem to be a huge push for developing social skills or accountability or responsibility when you can speak so anonymously and so unfiltered, uncensored. I mean, I'm all for free speech, but there, <laughs> there's, there's, there, there's some things going on that we'll have to look at another episode. Anyway, but speaking of accountability, so so that brings us to our topic a little bit. Uh, so talking about accountability and recovery. So so I know you and I we both work with addictions to some degree in some ways. And a the, so the idea behind this discussion is that a a frequent component of a recovery process, especially a little bit later, more stable recovery process, is having accountability. And that could be accountability community. It could be an accountability person could come in the form of like an accountability peer, someone who's working through the same things at the same time, could come through the form of a sponsor or a mentor, you know, pastoral figure, uh, something like that. So it comes up a lot and there's a lot of questions about it and a lot of disagreement debate over just what it, what is it. And it seems like one of those buzzwords that gets thrown around a lot and everybody's talking about something different. So I thought, let's do this so everyone can agree with me. No, no, not quite. But, <laughs> uh, but uh, I thought let's let's throw this out and and maybe offer some clarity. Hopefully, clarity. And if it's not clarity, then leave us a comment. So just more conversation. More conversation. That's always good. But anyway, so in your in your idea, Ben, when you think of accountability and recovery, what is what is accountability? I think accountability is well. 
broken, essentially, I think accountability is, you know, asking someone or some others to, to be involved, to help, help you achieve the goal that you have uh, in recovery because, because addictions are such a, you know, difficult disease that, you know, it affects, affects your brain so much that, you know, you you don't always do the things that you actually want to do, you know, because there's a part of your brain that still wants the, the substance or, or, you know, the, the dopamine or whatever it is, um, that, that you're addicted to. Um, so you're, you're asking other people to be involved and to, you know, to help you to make good decisions. I think that, you know, that's the sort of, I I don't know, this, this, the, the meat of accountability. Uh, there's a lot more to it as far as extraneous details and things. Right. But at the core of it, it's meant to be a supportive relationship. Right. And it sounds like you're talking about one where there's a good degree of, 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 of openness, openness, transparency, even vulnerability. I think, yeah, instinctively when I hear the word, um, I mean, there, there's, some, there's some images and, st- and stereotypes that go with that, but, but they all center around this idea that I'm in some way, shape, or form giving a report to this person of here's what I've done. Here's how I've succeeded. Here's how I've failed or some variation, different language. So, so, so I, th- I think that's often a component and that's mm-hmm. maybe where some of the questions can be is like, what's the purpose of that? How do you do that in a healthy way? And like, what are some, what, what are some examples of accountability gone wrong? Um, maybe, yeah, in your experience, and we could touch on that a little bit. Um, what, what do you think accountability is not, or maybe, well, actually, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's a good question. Cause there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of things that it isn't. Um, and I think, uh, there's a lot of ways that it can go, go wrong. It's not a relationship where there should be a lot of judgment or shame, you know, and, and I think that oftentimes, um, that's where it can, can go wrong is if, you know, if the person that you're choosing to be accountable to holds some sort of power or, um, or something that where, uh, where there can be a really difficult dynamic of, of shame or, or power, or I've, I've heard of people having like an employer, um, be an accountability person for them, um, which brings up a lot of, a lot of sticky issues where, you know, if, you know, if you mess up, then, you know, that, and, you know, who, and then, you know, what's going to happen with your job. And then, you know, and then there's the issue of like, when you're talking with someone, am I talking to my employer? Am I talking to, you know, my mentor? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so that's, that's it's a pretty big issue as it's, well. It's a, a very much a dual relationship mm-hmm. and one of those dual relationships that where, uh, and I mean, when, when we talk about dual relationships in ethics class, you know, we can say, Hey, not all dual relationships are inherently evil on their own. Right. Uh, but this one might be one of those. Where <laughs> <laughs> That's just a bad idea. It's a very bad idea. Yeah. So that's a really great point. You know, when, when your accountability person, the person to whom you're, you're giving a report is your employer or say like a religious leader, there, there's this really strong power differential there. The other one that I'm thinking of though, is when you're in part, uh, when your accountability partner is your married partner or yes. committed or committed partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause that creates uh, this other weird dual relationship dynamic too, where this person who's uh, ideally supposed to be, you know, your, your companion, lover, friend, confidant, 
uh, you know, potentially your co-parent if you're doing that. Um, now also has to be your, your essentially your police officer or your, your prison guard. Um, and it puts a really weird strain on the relationship. And uh, I mean, from per, per my observations, like when that's been the arrangement, uh, I think it, it ends up starting in order to create trust. And so the, the, the person in recovery can show they're being trustworthy. But, but I don't observe that it actually creates trust. It just creates more fear. Because then you're the, the partner who like has the passwords to everything, you know, or is getting the notifications about the, the addict's uh, activity. You know, they're always like living in tension, fear, hypervigilance around, oh, my phone pinged. What does that mean? Right. Uh, so, and it can create a lot of uh, codependence type behavior where the, the spouse is constantly worried, caring about um, the, the addicts yeah. behavior, you know, Oh, is this going to trigger them? Is that going to, uh, and right. versus, yeah, it's its own type of obsession and yeah. not, not a very fun one indeed. So, so that's where uh, I would say, I think, um, some of us in the field would say partners make poor accountability partners. So, so there's this idea that accountability at them poorly may come with, um, too much, too much consequence, Potentially. Right. Uh, the, the other version I think that doesn't go so well is when accountability is uh, just giving a report. Like I show up, I say, I acted out this many times this week. So long, fellas. Right. When and, there's no no consequence really at all. Right. There's, there's no fear um, in, involved in, or... or um, yeah. No fear, no challenge, but also not really any discussion or relationship. Like, right. I mean, I mean, for me to, and I feel like for me, if I showed up at a group, you know, every week and just said, Hey, I acted out in this way, you know, and didn't really talk about it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever get to learn from it. And I might even be reinforcing for myself the idea that I'm just going to do this. And this is just who I am and what I do. And, um, and that doesn't end up being super helpful. So, right. Yeah. The, the, yeah. If there's, if there's no, if, if there's no real, um, anything really holding them to, to that, you know, uh, it seems like accountability partner, there needs to be some sense of, I guess, maybe, um, a, re, a respect that the, the addict has for, for that person or that group mm -hmm. to where, you know, there, there's a sense of like, I don't, I don't want to disappoint Mm -hmm. this person, I don't want to let them down. And it's not in a shaming, um, or, you know, and I said fear earlier and I don't know that fear is really the right, right word, but, but respect more like, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I just don't really want to let this person down. And so it, it holds some, uh, it, it gives some motivation, motivation, I guess, to, to maintain sobriety. I would concur. I'm reflecting on my own experience of going through a recovery process, you know, um, there were certainly consequences that were on my periphery and I didn't really want those, but I didn't s quit stuff because of the consequences. I quit stuff because, you know, I really cared about so-and-so or so-and-so's opinion really mattered to me. And, you know, I you know, had developed a, a, an attachment to, you know, this person, that person, and they and I had developed a deep abiding love for them in a sense. And, and it was that relationship component that provided the impetus to change, the, the desire to change, the desire to not fail. Um, and it wasn't really a fear of them rejecting me at all because I knew that that option was off the table. We, we were going to be in a relationship. They weren't going to be mad at me. They weren't going to condemn me. And, and, in, and in that, I, even more so, I wanted them to be proud of me. I wanted them to be able to respect me and look up to me. 
So there you go. Fear and shame are not good motivators. Yeah, respect um, and and that internal motivation of wanting wanting to have have respect, wanting to be you know th- this person, you know, not that person. I don't yeah. I don't want to be the addict anymore. I want to be I want to be someone that people can respect and um, and care for and trust. Right. So we've been gliding through this idea of what accountability is and uh, definitely what does it look like done poorly and some things like that. What is accountability? What is good accountability look like? Like mm-hmm. if you are going to coach a client, uh, a couple clients through setting up good account, a good accountability relationship, um, what are some components you would want to see in place? Yeah, one one thing that, um, and this I think is a good transition of like accountability done done poorly, is oftentimes accountability will be like, you know, I, I'll talk to somebody and be like, hey, can you know, can you help keep me accountable? And then um, I I kind of assume that it's their job to come to me and ask me how I'm doing um, and keep me accountable. Whereas, you know, I, I think what's important in an accountability relationship is that the the person being uh, um, the person who's the addict is taking responsibility for their actions. And in that, you know, instead of asking someone to keep them accountable, they're choosing to be accountable to another person. Yeah, they're, um, they're giving account of themselves. Right. Yeah. Um, and because, you know, it's so easy to get into an accountability relationship and then that person never checks in with you and it's like, well, well, you know, and so then, so then you continue acting out, Mm -hmm. um, because, well, it becomes an an excuse to continue acting out because you, well, your accountability partner isn't doing their job. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not their job to keep you accountable. It's your job to, to be accountable to them. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that's, I think that's, you know, the first thing that I I really want to clarify with people when, when we talk about, accountability relationships um is that you know it's your job to be accountable to them and and not the other way around Mm -hmm. i would definitely agree a person in recovery needs there needs to be a whole lot of taking responsibility and ownership and you know an initiation but uh or initiative i'd also think though i mean there's some other nuances though where maybe they i mean at some point just don't know how to do that and so expecting that if people you know, fully could potentially be setting them up to fail if they have no habits and don't know how to do that. Um, they, they don't know how and, and they need to learn that. There's at least one fellow I've worked with where, you know, he he can self-start, but for him, that's like reenacting this particular uh, nuance of childhood trauma where like, you know, he, he had to, or he had to parent himself too much too early. And so, you know, for him, anytime he has to like take care of himself, even though he's good at it, it builds more resentment in him and it builds more, it re- reinforces the trauma compared to if a, an older, wiser, stronger um, mentor figure were to take more initiative action with, with him, like that might've been more meaningful. So, so there's almost a way I feel like there, there can be room on the other end for the, 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 the accountability figure, the mentor, the sponsor to look at it as, you know, I must give an account for what this person has done you know, if I'm holding them accountable, like I, you know, will be giving account to, to my elders of what has happened or not. And, and in a sense, take, yeah, yes, taking a little bit of responsibility. Um, and, and I say that carefully because, because that could get into boundary failure really fast. Cause you're right. I mean, if I'm going to hold someone accountable 
or be an accountability person for someone. Like I can't change them and I can't fix them and I can't rescue them. But I, it might be good for me to enter that relationship thinking uh, I'm playing a really active role and I'm going to do all that I can. So, so when I hear, hear them give their report, you know, it would be remiss of me to not investigate and analyze and look and see, well, am I doing everything I can to help you? And, um, and it's, and being able to recognize when maybe, maybe this person doesn't know how, maybe this person just doesn't know how to do any of this stuff. And maybe they need, do need to be taught a whole lot right at first. Yeah. I, I think I'd, I'd agree in that that would be a, a very good accountability partner, <laughs> um, which, which I think is, is hard to find, you know, somebody that, that has the time or is willing to be that active um, in, you know, in someone else's recovery um, outside of maybe a, a sponsor um, in a 12 step program or something. I, I feel like they tend, can tend to be more engaged in their sponsees um, recoveries. I've heard of some good ones out there for sure who they they're really involved and like they call every day they give lots of homework they go on lunches and things right so but but in terms of like what is it what is the actual accountability account that <laughs> it's so thinking about the actual accountability encounter uh, when you know you know joe says to bob hey i acted out in this and this fashion um what are some what are some features of that particular conversation that make it more helpful versus less helpful, do you think? Yeah, I think, um, you know, there, there needs to first off be, you know, um, I guess some grace acceptance, whatever you want to call it, you know, as far as like non-judgment, I suppose, um, on the part of the accountability partner, um, but then, you know, then some investigation, you know, of, of what, what happened, what could, what could you do differently? Um, how can I help with this? Um, you know, and, and these sorts of questions that, that can help them, you know, or, um, you know, what, what are you, what are you wanting or needing from me, um, differently in this relationship? Um, these sorts of questions to help, help the addict problem solve, you know, and, and have, uh, have more success hopefully in the future. Yeah. Much more than just, I mean, and so, and so the, again, the, the, the stereotype in my head is, you know, the, the, the accountability group where you know, they'll like, you know, meet in the folding chairs and they'll go around the circle, take turns saying, well, and it's usually specifically like, you know, in porn addiction, but it's like, you know, okay, I looked at porn three times this week. Oh, I looked at porn four times this week. Oh, that's even worse. You know? And like, they just kind of like give a report and say, mom, that sucks. Try better next time. So, uh, right. Right. Then that's, I mean, great. They're, they're being open and, and, and being honest. That's cool. But it would be much more helpful to, you know, when, you know, when, when Joe says, Hey, I looked at porn three times this week for everybody else to be like, okay, well, that's, you know, we love you. That That's not really okay. But, and, um, well, what happened and when you when and where and what were you feeling and what led up to it and what were the underlying fears and you know and you know had you have you been sleeping well and uh looking to to tend to the whole context and the whole organism mm-hmm. which again i mean not everybody's like clinically trained and necessarily knows all that right at the start but a uh, good accountability culture can be developed to where you know as as a culture we kind of know to think about hey 
what was the context? You know, were you hangry? Were you halting? Were you, did you just break up with somebody? You know, all of that matters. And being able to, to do that analysis of the event and hopefully learn from it and hopefully develop some solutions uh, could be a really practical thing too. One of the other things I think matters is how the person giving the report talks about it. And, and I've heard everything from like, you know, I messed up, I screwed up, um, or like I failed, you know, this or that. And I think I get the heart behind that where people are wanting to like really emphasize that they, they know what they've done and they know, and they feel bad about it. And like, mm-hmm. you know, really like own that, the bad, they feel the badness of the bad thing they did. Um, but but I also have a lot of concern around language like that because it is kind of it's it's a little over the top and borders border borders on well I mean it feels shaming I mean it's and and another 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 hazard could be you know kind of war storing about the acting out and mean like oh it was so dramatic and it was this and that or even worse like it was this specific detail and graphic detail I'm like no don't do that. Um, <laughs> Um, I really love the language of, you know, I acted out to that. Um, and because it's, or, or I think, you know, borrowing from like our, our DBT friends, you know, I, I engaged in a target behavior. Um, and you could, you could say specifically what it is. Um, but, but speaking in really, really neutral, really objective, mm. really objective terms feels cleaner because you, you can, you, you're taking ownership but without the fluff, without the emotions, without the shame. And I feel like that might be a really healthy um, baseline starting point. Where is then the place for the emotions in in that relationship, in those reports? Because I feel like, you know, I, I feel like it would be good to have space for, for the feelings, but maybe not um, sort of conjured feelings of like, this was so terrible, I did a terrible thing. But, you know, being able to express, you know, that, that, you know, I, I, I did this and, and, and also be able to express, like, I feel really terrible because, you know, I know, I know Mm -hmm. how my spouse feels about this and I know how, how this affects my kids or I know how this affects whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and to be able to, to express in the relationship also, those emotions yeah so what you were just expressing like you uh i think usually when i hear people using more like fail talk like Mm -hmm. you know i've screwed up a messed up a fail talk they're not usually going into that sort of depth right at the same time so so to be able to say something like you know i acted out and i feel really hesitant to say that because i'm nervous about your all like reaction to me also i feel really terrible because i know how this affects my family um, that feels a lot more healthy and a lot more mm-hmm. balanced because you're able to be a little kind of neutral about the the behavior, but more exploratory around the emotions. And that's right. one of the important parts anyway. So, yeah, I like that. I like how you put that. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I think, yeah, being able to make space for, for both to not yeah, conjure or kind of like overreact on on things, but, but also to not be so clinical or, or clean about it, that it's just simply like I'm making a police report or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There has to be some, some investment. So one of, one other, um, 
one other thing to think about too is, I mean, why do, why do you think accountability matters? Uh, where I mean, we're talking about all this and as and kind of ma- under this assumption that oh yes, if you're in recovery, you'll have an accountability person in our community. Uh, well, it's a little bit of an assumption. Um, why, why do you think it matters? Mm, that's a good question. Well, I think I think there's a number of reasons why it matters. One, and I think it's just good and helpful to have, um, like like we touched on earlier, to have somebody else involved because of the way that uh, the addiction affects the brain, and, and um, it's it's very hard to to make good decisions, especially earlier on uh, in recovery. So having somebody else that is, is helping to, to keep you accountable to the decisions that you're wanting to make, um, the, the choices you're, you're wanting to make uh, is helpful. Another, another reason I think it's important and helpful is because of how helpful relationships are in recovery. Um, that, um, it seems from my experience, uh, relationships with other with other people who are able to be non-judgmental help to reduce the power, the negative power of the shame in uh, in addiction, and therefore helps to to motivate move towards healthy recovery. The relationships are really powerful, both for the you know um, demolish, demolishing the shame, but also thinking about just like the the brain, uh, you know. Um, any experience we have, we create neural pathways, neural connections that go with that. And like the experiences we have often that are, and the ones that are emotionally laden, the ones that are really important, they, they get etched in much more deeply and strongly. And some of the most powerful experiences we have are the ones that are in relationship. Right. So having, having a consistent, uh, interaction with a person with, um, with multiple people, um, that that's creating new brain brain mapping for you and that's often what you need in order to change a pattern that's as you know deeply in ground as as an addiction yeah one of the things i'm also thinking too is that uh like addictions they thrive in secrecy they thrive in isolation and so uh, especially developing a regular practice of of accountability or like in my faith tradition like the, the regular practice of confession you know you get in the habit of you develop the practice of openness and of honesty and of verbalizing the things and, and not lying anymore. Um, and, and, and that's like really powerful because it, it normalizes that I'm not going to hide this, but I'm going to open myself up, which is such a key component in any sort of, you know, mental health recovery. Uh, and even better, like if you can have a whole culture that's, that's doing that, like you normalize that as a culture to say, okay, I know that I'm bringing forth my, uh, my deepest darkest on a regular basis and i know that everybody else is also so really my deepest darkest ain't that bad because and i'm not really that special or extra bad or extra broken and i don't actually have to be intimidated about my stuff because well everybody's also bringing out their stuff so you know it's just one big one big cuddle pile there um and i feel like like the you get to be more open and you yeah no more isolation. Right. Yeah. Which is huge in addiction because, because yeah, it does happen primarily in isolation. Yeah. So, all right. Last question for, for this thread. Uh, how long should a person in recovery also be held accountable or be in an accountability relationship? Do you think? It's also a good question. <laughs> um, I think, I think essentially it's going to really depend on 
the person, um, the recovery process, maybe the addiction. Um, but, you know, I think broadly, and, and also I think that um, the accountability relationship would need to just kind of change over time as well. But, but I think for, for many, it might be good to, to make that sort of a lifelong thing because, because addiction doesn't fully go away. You're all, you know, there's a 12 step, um, saying that, you know, no matter how far down the road you go, you're still just as far away from the gutter. Um, and, and that, you know, and that, that can be very true that, you know, somebody can be in recovery for 10 years, um, and have a really terrible day and not engage in recovery skills and relationships and, and get right back into a, a relapse. We do hear those stories. And, uh, so having, you know, having, a accountability relationship, you know, that, that sustains through, through your recovery, I think is important, but it's not going to be the same you know, 10 years down the line that it was at the beginning. Right. And it's good to recognize that your accountability person isn't necessarily your therapist because I mean, I, I mean, I don't want my, I don't want to see my same clients 10 years from now, hopefully, you know, and that's not good for them or their pocketbooks, but, but yeah, I, I would lean toward, yeah, having, having a lifelong accountability person or, or a lifelong mentor figure for sure. Uh, I would find that incredibly valuable. Uh, and you're right. The relationship would change over time. You know, it might start out being very much, you know, skillsy, skills oriented, you know, putting out fires. And after that, it could become very much like, well, I'm, I am kind of just checking in, you know, looking for blind spots, a little bit of course correction, some ideas. And at some point too, like kind of just share in life, like, you know, life's a big, long thing and it's, and it's hard and it's good to have somebody else who knows who knows you, who knows your context, who knows you in multiple settings, multiple stages of life. And, you know, someone who, and you know, and when that person like makes a suggestion or says something like they've kind of earned the right to say it and, you know, demonstrated over a long time that, Hey, I actually might know kind of what's good for you. Um, no, I mean, not completely, but I might have a pretty good idea. So, I mean, I do like the idea of the, the long-term relationship. Yeah. I think, um, I think really when it comes down to it, we're talking about just having healthy relationships there is with that. other people, you know, and, and, and being, um, being open and honest, you know, with, with safe people. But, but yeah, I think, you know, having, having some, at least one person that really knows you know, this, this aspect of you, um, you know, the, the addiction and the recovery and, what, what things are difficult for you. Yeah. And, and then, you know, down the line, just being able to share life um, with that context mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Someone, someone other than your partner. Yes. <laughs> I mean, your partner will know everything in a different way, but anyway. So those are our initial thoughts on accountability. And I think there's a lot we didn't quite get to and, and would take a lot longer to unpack. Like, the process of building relationships and all of the logistics and elements of privilege that factor into this also, because those are all real. Um, but at a baseline, I think we definitely think people in recovery should have this, have this sort of support. They should have this relationship support and have this gentle push toward more openness and less isolation and with a, with a healthy dose of problem solving along the way. Yes. So, all right. Well, With that, 
we will conclude this episode of Smart Council. And we hope to talk about this more. And we do invite you to leave a comment or a rating as long as it's a five-star rating. And uh, <laughs> but seriously, though, I mean, we will probably have some blind spots in what we talk about. And we'd love your comments to help bring those out. And we love the dialogue. So stay in touch and let's keep the conversation going. We love your feedback and value the conversation. Please drop us a note at smartcouncilpodcast at gmail.com. Please also feel free to rate and review us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and anywhere your podcasts are hosted. Smart Council has been edited by Breakfast Puppies. Our logo is by Thomas Moore. The music was by Nate Botsford. Thank you for listening, and let's keep the conversation going. This podcast was edited and produced by breakfastpuppies.com. <laughs>